the man that I expect you to be, the woman that I expect you to be. God says, you are able to do so or I wouldn't have the expectation of you. That thing that I put in your heart, if you couldn't do it, I wouldn't have told you about it. When he called Abraham to his purpose, God knew what he had the capacity to do. When he called a stuttering Moses to his purpose, God did not become surprised at the fact that Moses wasn't a good orator. When he called David to his purpose out in the back somewhere, he saw a king in the midst of him being a shepherd. Anything God calls you to do as a father, he sees you have the capacity to become and manifest that thing that he put on the inside of you. So the Bible turn with me if you will to Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. As I was saying we are celebrating Father's Day and I want to say happy Father's Day to all of the fathers that are a part of this ministry that follow this ministry. Praise the Lord. I always want to kind of point out as well to all of my brothers that are doing the the father thing that did not grow up in a home with a father and they're kind of learning on the job. I want to salute all of the gentlemen that have stepped up and are great fathers in the lives of their children. Amen. Additionally, we are celebrating Juneteenth. It is an African-American originated um, celebration of the end of slavery. It's almost to some degree twofold in the sense that when you look at the history of Juneteenth, you recognize that it was two years that slave masters had their slaves work even in the midst of them knowing that they were free. And it only was at the fact that a, a union officer came with his black soldiers to Galveston, Texas, that shared the good news at that point. The good news that in fact they had been liberated and they have been free. Juneteenth is the only marker that we have in these United States of America in way of a holiday that celebrates the end of slavery and it was, it was uh, commemorated into a holiday last year. So we take this opportunity to actually celebrate Juneteenth in and with Father's Day this morning. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, do you have your Bibles? to Hebrews chapter 11, I mean 12. We're gonna kinda of pick up <clears throat> this morning and see how this comes out <laughs> in this area on this Father's Day on looking at the fathership of God. The fathership of God. It goes really good together with what we're talking about in this series of kingdom concepts, kingdom concepts. Because we said that when we are talking about the kingdom, we are not just simply talking about a king that's foreign to us, but a father that is king. When we're talking about the kingdom, we have to understand that the kingdom of God is a peop the people of God and a system of righteousness. It is the people of God, God's children, if you will, but it's also a system of righteousness. And so when we start talking about the fathership of God, we are talking about our father, which is king. We've said in the past, out of way of review, that when we are really essentially saying, if I, 
can put this into maybe five succinct concepts here. When we say kingdom, we are really referring to the king and his children. We are referring to the king and his children. We're also referring to his children, children choosing to work in the kingdom. It's the king and his kids. The king and his children. I, I got to get better at not saying the word kids because uh, sister used to correct us all the time saying, well, kids are uh, baby goats. <laughs> and and, and, and uh, definition-wise, she's absolutely correct. So the king and his children. The king and his children. And then we said that his children choosing to work for the king in the kingdom, this is the essence of the kingdom concept. When we say the kingdom, we're also referring to a way, uh, the way the work is actually accomplished. So his children choosing to work and the way that the work is actually accomplished is the system of governance inside of the kingdom. The way the system works or the way the work is accomplished. When we say the word kingdom, it means the authority also and the dominion of the government. The authority and the dominion of the government. And when we say the word kingdom, what comes to mind, dare I say, is this term, the judition of the government. The ju jurisdiction, if you will, of the government. And in fact, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6 talks about when Jesus shows up on the scene. It says essentially, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The New Living, I'm quoting the King James and reading the New Living. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. Notice the term, and the government shall or will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, a Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Jesus shows, shows up to reestablish the kingdom of God on the earth. A colony of the earth from, or a colony of heaven went rogue under Adam and Eve. And so Jesus shows up as the last Adam to reestablish this rebellious colony. And when you get born again, you are born from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, what happens in the midst of you getting born again is that God begins to place us in a position where he begins to train us. And this training process is the process called discipleship. We say, well, what is discipleship or how is a disciple made? It is by teaching and education, showing you what to do. It is by instruction and a, a instruction or command, which is calling you to compliance. It is through discipline, which the highest order of discipline in your life is self-control or self-imposed accountability. This morning, my assignment is to minister on the fathership of God, but particularly in this area of calling you to compliance, which is what we've been ministering for the last uh, couple of sessions on this area of sanctification. And on Thursday, we begin looking at the heart of sanctification is the heart of the king calling you to an area of compliance. So let's look here, if we will, in Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 6. Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 6, verse out of the King James Version of the Bible. And it says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, 
and scourges every son whom he receiveth. Verse 7 says, If ye endure chastening, God dealt with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Verse number 8 says, But if ye be without chastement or chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Let's look at a New Living Translation and let's see how that reads. It says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. He punishes each one uh, he accepts, notice the term, as his child. Verse 7 out of the New Living Translation says, As you endure the divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? Verse number 8, If God doesn't discipline you, as he does all his children, it means you are not or you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. God, by disciplining in us, shows his fathership. And the writer of Hebrews indicates to us there is this distinctive mark that if God is not chastening you or disciplining you, it is a mark of the fact that you don't belong to him. Now, being a father myself, I begin to understand this in a different light when I became a father. Because the reality of the fact is, there are kids that live up the street, down the corner, across town. There are kids over even when we were at the Irwin Center that are present. But one of the things that I discovered is that I cannot discipline those kids because they don't belong to me. But I can discipline the two that are connected to the, me that are in my house. I tell them what they are supposed to do. We punish them when they don't act a certain kind of way. Why? Because I'm displaying that we are connected because I'm their father and they are, in fact, my children. I might see kids up the street that are acting or behaving in a way that's not in accordance with maybe the way they should be acting, but I can't or I don't have the right to speak into their life without authorization because they're not connected to me as my children. And so many people consider God God, but they don't look at him or have a relationship with him where he becomes father. God when you get born again, when he chastens or he disciplines you, he does so because he's displaying through the discipline that you are in fact one of his children and that's why you can't get away with everything. That's why he calls you to a level of in fact sanctification. Now look over here if you will to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter number 13. We gonna make it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter number 13. Uh, the King James Version of the Bible. Notice this though. He says, He that spares the rod hates his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him best time. 
Now notice the New Living Translation, how it translates that. It says, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. And that's another commentary that we can have at another time concerning whether or not uh, spanking is appropriate or not. But he says, those who spare the rod hate their children. But he says, those who love their, love their children care enough to discipline. You know, I mean, for so many people growing up, they grew up maybe without their father in the home. And the father wasn't there to discipline their children. And as you begin to grow, maybe, maybe your father showed up on the weekends as, you know, the weekend dad and showed up with all of the fun things or all of those activities. It's an amazing thing that the older you get, the more you reflect on those things, you begin to question whether or not they really loved you because it wasn't the fun stuff that you missed, but it was the discipline. Whether or not they were concerned enough about the way I was behaving to correct me. God says, I love you and I'm treating you as my children by the display of my discipline or my correction of you. The fact that, yeah, when you do things out of order, that on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit is like, no, you got to go make that right. He's treating you as a father that's calling his kids to compliance. Now, let's go ahead and put this together in regards to understanding that our Heavenly Father, is, in fact, is our Heavenly Father. Romans chapter 8 and verse 12, 15, now the New, Lip, New International Version of the Bible says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. He says, rather the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cried, notice the term, Abba, Father. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, because you are his sons, God sent his spirit of, the, of his son into um, our hearts in the spirit who calls out Abba Father. And of course, John, first John, or John chapter 1 verse 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13 says, Children born not of natural uh, descent or of uh, the natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Why do I reference these three scriptures? Because you got to understand the day you got born again, you became a child of God. And we got to make the marker here, the day you got born again, you became a child of God. Because everybody goes around saying, well, we're all children of God. No, we are not. There are some that have been born again that God says, I put my name on you and you can call me Abba Father because of who you receive. You receive my son, you receive the Holy Spirit, you are now my child. We are all born in the Amagu Dei, which is in the image of God, but the choice to become a son of God is in fact that a choice that you have to receive to be born again. And so one of the reasons why you see folks that go to church act any old kind of way, do any old kind of thing is because maybe perhaps they have not really been born again. Maybe the reason why they don't sense that God is calling them to an area of compliance or sanctification is because they ain't got justification in his proper seat yet. God is a good, good father. 
and displayed in his goodness is the fact that God does, in fact, discipline his children. Displayed in his love is the fact that God will hold things back from you until you are ready to receive it. Part of the way he trains us sometimes is this area where he says, yeah, I know you want that, but you're going to have to go through this process. You say, but daddy, I don't want to go through this process. He says, I understand that. But because I love you, I'm saying this process is a requirement for you to receive that. This is the art of a good father. Not even giving you the things that you want before you are prepared to receive them. Now look here. At Ephesians chapter number six. Ephesians chapter number six. I want to look at two passages of scripture and we're going to kind of take off in an area I believe my assignment is this morning. Ephesians chapter six and verse number four. Out of the King James Version of the Bible. Scripture says, and ye fathers, he's speaking, the apostle Paul is speaking to natural fathers. Notice he says, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and ammunition of the Lord. Now look over here at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21. It says, fathers, notice the term, same similar term, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be, notice the term, discouraged. Provoke not your children to anger. Now, out of the mouth of two witnesses, let every word be established. This is part of the reason why I'm showing you these scriptures. He's saying to dads specifically, fathers specifically, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't provoke your children to anger. He says in one passage in Ephesians, raise them up in the nurture and ammunition of the Lord. In the other, he says, let they be discouraged if you indeed, in fact, provoke them. Now, what in the world are you referring to? Now, because just a minute ago, Reverend, you were talking about the discipline of the Lord. Now you're talking about don't provoke your children. And if you read these things out of context or, or, or dismantle them to the degree they need to be, then you can think that they're, they're, they're contradictory. The word provoke, now watch this, means to anger alongside. It means to enrage. It means to provoke the wrath. It means to exacerbate. Exacerbate. Well, what does the word exacerbate mean? It means to cause irritation or annoyance. It means to excite anger. It means to make grievous. And I submit to you the reason why the Apostle Paul is saying by the gifts of the Spirit that to fathers don't exacerbate your children. He is saying this because a father can set expectations on their children that they can't meet. He's saying to fathers, I want you to have expectations of your children, but make sure they're within reason of what they can accomplish. That's the reason why he says, lest they be discouraged. Because if a father has an expectation of you and you can never reach it, that's exactly what happens. You will become discouraged. And my assignment this morning is to tell you, if God is telling by the way of the Apostle Paul, to natural fathers, do not exacerbate your children or place them in a position that they can't meet your expectations, how much so he as a good, good father wouldn't do the same to us. The word expectations means a belief that something will happen or be the cause or the case in the future. So if God is telling you, because I take this person as a father, Know your kids 
but don't have expectations of them that's beyond their capacity to meet. Then show me where you're like that. First John chapter five. First John chapter five, watch this. First John chapter five, let's look at verse number three. He says, for this is love. For this is, I'm sorry, the love of God that we keep his commandments. And watch the term, his commandments are not grievous. To exacerbate means to make more grievous. He says, his commandments are not grievous. What does the word grievous mean? It comes from a Greek word that means burdensome, heavy, and weighty. Notice he says, his commandments are not grievous. And then he follows up and he says, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And he says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Look over here. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 11. Don't put this together. He says, his commandments are not grievous. He tells natural fathers, don't accept an expectation they can't meet. He says, you display your love for God by you keeping his commandments. And he says that his commandments are not burdensome. They're not something, dare I say, that you can't meet. Matthew chapter 11, watch this. We read this before. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Notice the term, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And what is the term? Ye shall find rest for your souls. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden. God says, as a father, come to me, and that's where you'll find rest. But he also says, come to me, and that's where you'll find discipline. Come to me, and you'll find rest, but come to me, you'll also find discipline. He says, take my yoke and learn upon you, and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest for your soul. He says when you come into the kingdom and I'm dealing with you as a father, first and foremost I'm dealing with you as someone that loves you. And the more you begin to understand God's heart for you, the more you begin to understand his discipline for you, it's for your good. Because he's now displaying what he said over in Proverbs that the discipline that he's expressing in your life is an expression of love. The fact that God, yes, he does have expectations of you. Yes, he does have expectations. He does expect you to manifest that thing that he put in your heart. He does look at you and say, yeah, I'm looking for you to do this thing in life. And he says, though, distinctly, the thing that he's calling you to, to keep his commandments, to operate in his will, he says, these areas are not grievous, they're not heavy, they're not weighty. In fact, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn in me. So he's indicating that they, in fact, fit on you like a glove. The reality of the fact is, operating in the world system and in the world culture is more weighty than walking in agreement with God. But unfortunately, a lot of folks have to take a lot of time exploring the world to figure that out. That God's ways are originating from love and they are originating for my good. Now, I want to say this, and this is where we're going to close because I'm not going to take a lot of time this morning. 
God has expectations of you. God has expectations of you as a father. And if he tells natural fathers, don't exacerbate your children. I know I'm probably messing that word up like crazy this morning, but y'all pray for me. If he's saying, don't have levels of expectation that they can't meet, God says, I wouldn't do that to you. So the expectations that I have for you, you are able to meet those expectations. The man that I expect you to be, the woman that I expect you to be, God says, you are able to do so or I wouldn't have the expectation of you. That thing that I put in your heart, if you couldn't do it, I wouldn't have told you about it. When he called Abraham to his purpose, God knew what he had the capacity to do. When he called a stuttering Moses to his purpose, God did not become surprised at the fact that Moses wasn't a good orator. When he called David to his purpose out in the back somewhere, he saw a king in the midst of him being a shepherd. Anything God calls you to do as a father, he sees you have the capacity to become and manifest that thing that he put on the inside of you. So the question is, what does it mean when God has expectations? What does that mean? Oh, my father has expectations of me. It means that God expects me, A, as we just read, to keep his commandments. He says his commandments are not grievous, they're not burdensome, they're not heavy, they're not weighty. So you must have the ability to do what he said. Because he, in fact, tells us in the New Testament that he'll put his laws on the inside of you. Well, how does he do that? Through the Holy Spirit. Giving you the checks in life of what to do and what not to do. The reason why we spend so much time talking about sanctification is because the Holy Spirit is working on the inside of you to separate you from the old way of living to receive the new way of living as a good father would because he sees something in you. When God has expectation, it means that God expects, there I say, me to grow. There's a problem when you've been, say, 30 and 40 years and five years, six years, and you are the same spiritual infant that you were when you got born again those 30 years ago. You don't know no more word. There is a problem. There is a deformed issue that we got going on here. And there is no deformed uh, deformities in the kingdom of God. God's children are exactly the same. That's why he says, I've dealt to every man the measure of faith. So everybody comes into the kingdom having the same capacity. God doesn't say, well, he gets to grow up this way, he gets to grow up that way. No, God says everybody came in the same way, having the same ability to develop in their faith. The question is not whether or not you are growing. The question is, are you in the environment for your growth? Because you do have to obey the king and his commands when he says, go to that church. Go over here. I want you to be mentored by that person. He has expectations for you to grow. I know when you start walking around, what, six, six months to a year? Yeah. Roughly, give or take. Yeah. And I, I, one of the things they say is that, you know, when the child is not walking, they want you to go get them checked out because something some ain't right. 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 You know, it's something about when you not walk by faith at year two, year three, and he says that the just shall live by faith, there's something wrong. Why? It should be that I'm being stretched. It should be that God says, okay, you did that. Good. I'm clapping for you. But I know you got more. 
You did that? Yes, yes, you did. And the daddy, and he is, he'll say, I applaud for you. Now, let's take a look over here. Stretching me further. Because God, as a father, expects his children to grow. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, like newborn babes, you must, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. You know, the longer you walk with God, the more that you should grow in love with his word. The more you begin to walk with God, the more the desire for God's word begins to grow on the inside of you. And if it's not, we got a question, there's something wrong because there's a deformity in you that we got to check out. And sometimes that deformity might be an area of bitterness. It might be an area of a grudge that you're holding against somebody and that's restricting your growth because you've not received what the Holy Spirit is saying is to let it go. God's expectations. Number three, watch this. God expects, I want you to get this. He expects me to win. God expects me to win. Notice what he said over in 1 John. He says, for whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. He says, even our faith. God has never assigned anyone anything that he didn't expect you to win at. I don't care what it is. If he assigned it to you, he sees victory when he assigned it to you. The question is not whether or not God expects you to win. The question is, will you stay in faith to win? This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. I'm born of God. I'm supposed to win. I'm not supposed to lose in life because my daddy is king and it's a set that I am supposed to win. God's expectation as a father, watch this. God expects me, notice the term, to trust him. He expects me to trust him. As a father, he says, don't you understand that I am with you when everybody else leaves you? God has a way of doing certain things in our life to display that he's worthy of our trust. And if you look back over your life and look at those areas where you thought you wasn't going to make it, you did. Look at those areas where you thought this is the one you overcame. And God says, after so many years of displayed things in your life, the display of my heart, the question is, don't you understand I expect you to now move in your growth and in your trust of me? So the next thing that I show you as a father, I'm not going to lead you to something that you can't win at. I'm not going to lead you to something that you can't overcome. Trust my direction because you trust my heart. Our faith is displayed within our keeping his commands. So many people get into areas of sin. And really when you look at the root of all areas of sin in the life of Christians, it's an area of a lack of trust of God. God, I don't trust you in that area. So I got to do something for me. God, you're taking too long. So I got to make a move for me. God expects you to trust him. And last but not least, God as a heavenly father Watch this. It's a little bit of a different one, but he expects you to walk in peace. He expects you to walk in peace. He expects you to stay at rest. You know, I came in this morning, I was listening to a song by Fred Hammond, Child of the King. You know how many people are frustrated with financial issues and areas. And God says, don't you understand that you are my child, which means that you are a child of the king? 
Don't you want to say you might have grown up as a black man, black woman, but it doesn't matter what society says. God says, I am your father and I have the ability to put you over even when society wants to put you on. So then for the believer that really believes that, I, as 1 Peter 5, 7 says, should cast my cares on God because he cares for me and I should always be in a perpetual state of rest because I trust daddy God. I don't see what's happening. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's coming next, but I know that I'm holding the hand of my heavenly father and my heavenly father will never let me down. My heavenly father will never lead me to failure. My heavenly father has had the ability to overcome other things for other people and he'll do it for me because he loves me just like he loved everyone else because he's not a respecter of persons. He loves me individually. He loves us collectively. He is our father and he will never fail us despite what your natural father may have in fact done. Watch this, last scripture, Proverbs chapter four and verse 20. I want you to hear this as a heart of God issue. Proverbs chapter four and verse 20. I'll pray for me. This mic kind of held me here like a Baptist preacher this morning. Amen. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20 says, My son, my daughter, attend to my words. To attend means to give heed, to give, to give reverence to, to, to attend, to give an attention to my words. He says, Incline thine ear to my sayings. He says, verse 21, let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Why, God? Why should I give this level of attention? Why should I not let your words to me depart from my view? He says, for they are life unto them, to those that find them. And notice the term, not just life, but he says health and health to all their flesh. Now watch this really quick out of the Amplified. He says, my son, attend to my words. Consent and submit to my saying. Consent and submit to my saying. Sound like he's calling you to compliance. He says, let them not depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst or the center, in the center of your heart. He says, for those that do that, they will find their life to those that find them. Healing and health to your flesh. Preservation of life is found in giving attention to God's word. And the more you begin to change this image of God from being a religious God to being an Abba Father to you, then you'll begin to receive him and his directions as life and health to my body. Daddy says, yeah, you need to get up and exercise. Yeah, that's what you need to do. Daddy says you need to get up and go to church. Yeah, that's what you need to do because it's preservation of your life and the assignment that he's placed on your life. When we begin to see God as our father and not just God, this distant God, then your relationship begins to change with even those that are around you. I'm a child of the king. My daddy takes care of me. My daddy can meet my needs. My daddy can meet my wants. I can have a conversation that's open and transparent before him because he's not going to judge me. He's going to show me how to be better. 
My father, when he does discipline me, he's disciplined me from the position of love because he says you have the ability to manifest more than what you are. When you receive God as father, your entire world begins to change. Let's pray. Father God, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we bless you for this opportunity to have gotten into your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are indeed a good, good father. And on this day that we celebrate fathers across the world, we dare not let this day go by without saying thank you, sir, for being our father. For many of the men and women that are angry because of maybe the disappointment with their natural father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a father to the fatherless. Live big on the inside of your children, God. Let your love wrap every person under the sound of my voice. That you're able to take care of us. You're able to meet our needs. You're able to heal our emotions. And so, Lord, we, as an act of our will, choose to receive you as our Father. And stay at rest to walk in peace because we know that we can trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone did say amen. Hallelujah. Well, it's giving time. Amen. It's giving time. Let's look, if you will, at Psalms 112. We're going to look at a new international version of the Bible. Psalms 112. Notice what it says here. It says, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. He says, good will. Good will come to those who are generous. It will come to those who lend freely and conduct their affairs with justice. Verse 6 says, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. Verse 7 says, For will they will have no fear, watch this, of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast. Watch the term, trusting the Lord. Their hearts are secure. And they will have no fear in the end. They will look in triumph on their foes. Notice the term, their hearts are steadfast trusting the Lord. The more we begin to understand God's heart for us, then we begin to understand his directions for us are for our good. And even though the news might be bad, that's why I chose this translation. He said they will have no fear in bad news. You turn on the news, you see bad news. You go to the gas pump, dear God, sometimes you see bad news. You go into the grocery store and you say, Lord, didn't we just pay? We, we paid $10 for this. Now it's like 12 to 15. Bad news. But he says their hearts are steadfast, not because of their ability, but trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure and they will not fear. In the end, they will look in triumph over their foes. Maybe the foe in your life might be a financial issue. God expects you to win. Well, part 
really of you winning is you sowing in the area where he tells you to sow. We live by our seed. A farmer that doesn't sow seed in the ground can't expect a harvest. Can't say, oh, ground, why is it I have no corn? The, corn, the, the, the ground would look back up if it could talk and say, because you didn't put no seed in it. We live by our giving as believers. So when the Spirit of God directs us to give, that's a part of him saying, I want you to trust me more than you trust the money. Trust my heart for you to be able to increase you more than the money that you see coming in from that company or that industry where you work. He says, I'm the one that gives you the power to get wealth. And when I direct your seed to be sown in certain areas, he says, that operating in where I tell you to sow and doing what I said to do is you displaying trust in me. Three ways you can get to the training center. One way is by way of our website, www.thetrainingcenter-church.org. Second way is by way of our cash app, dollar sign one TTC. Last and definitely not least is by way of our PO box number, the Training Center, PO box 2358, Gastonia, North Carolina, 28053. And of course, you can.